Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast, where we talk about all things Orlando City, Orlando Pride, Orlando City B. I am Michael Citro. I am the managing editor and founder of TheMainland.com. And we hope you're enjoying us over at SB Nation. And uh, I'm joined this week by a couple of our writers, Daniel McGann and Austin David. How are you guys doing this week? Doing great, guys. I mean, looking for some time off for Orlando City. Uh, Unfortunate news today, but I'm guessing we'll talk about that uh, coming up here soon. Yep. Austin, it's been a while since you've been with us. How have you been? It has been a while. It's been too long, but uh, doing good. All right. Well... It's it's kind of time for us to all take a breath. We've got, um, you know, a little bit of a break here with Orlando City and Orlando Pride, and um, a little bit shorter break for the Pride than Orlando City, I think. But uh, you know, a little bit of a, an international break. Copa America has come to North America, and um, MLS taking a couple of weeks off here during the group stages, and. Uh, we will, uh, of course, talk about Copa a little bit later. Uh, Orlando City B, of course, though, will be back in action this weekend. Um, let's start with Orlando City at New York City FC. Um, it was Orlando City's third game in a nine-day span, and they came out and played like it, basically. And they were missing a lot of guys, too. They were, they were missing Kaká, who had gone off to, uh, to join Brazil. We'll have more on that later. They were missing Darwin Saren, who's still out with an injury. They were out, down Christian Aguita, who was out with a suspension. David Mateos out with a suspension. It was um, it was a hodgepodge sort of lineup that we saw. It was a uh, it was a four two three one. Adrian Heath decided he would go with a defensive midfield of Servando Carrasco, who we've seen a lot of this year, and and his son Harrison Heath, who we have not seen a lot of this year, and. Um, Luke Bowden started at left back, pushing uh, Brekshay up to left uh, attacking mid. We had Kevin Molino in the middle of the attacking midfield and Adrian Vinter on the right. And, of course, Kid Fantastic up top. Um, I'm going to start with you, Daniel. What did you think of the lineup when you first saw it? Uh, what's going on? Like, I mean, I just we had more depth this year, so I had more confidence in the side. I was happy to see Brekshay move up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I was a little confused on the Harrison Heath start. I mean, I think he showed that throughout the match. I don't know if uh, most of you saw saw the same things I did. Maybe it was promising to some, but uh, for a guy who's been training with the team for basically 
basically since inception, he didn't really show as much as I thought he would, as I thought he would. And uh, we've we played um, the formation played exactly how I've been touting o- over the past couple of months that Orlando is not the, the ticky tack of possession style club that it was last year. It's much more direct, uh, and maybe that lends to the formation that we had. Maybe that lends to the type of players we had on the field. Um, but we seem to be playing that style uh, of football a lot more than we were last year, which makes me question the type of identity that this club has. And again, maybe that lends to the conversation of where we're at in the standings. Now, uh, Austin, the I guess the surprise for me was that as much as he was not training, uh, Seb Hines was able to start at center back alongside Tommy Redding. Uh, with uh, Kevin Alston on the right side and, and Luke Bowden on the left side in the in the back line. Uh, Connor Donovan and Devron Garcia both made the trip. Um, were you a little bit surprised that Seb was able to get back in the lineup? And what were your overall thoughts when you saw the team sheet? Well, in terms of Seb Hines getting back into the lineup, I was like 20% surprised because I was at uh, training over the past week uh, I saw him working out by himself. Um, it's kind of sad, actually, just watching him <laughs> kick a ball into the goal by himself, then going and getting it and like kicking it around, just like playing one touch <laughs> off the post. It was like really sad to watch, but at the same time, he didn't look like he was in any pain or discomfort whatsoever. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I saw uh, some of the OCB players who were coming into training and he was leaving training. They were asking him, hey, how's your knee? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. I'll be good to go. So, you know, after that, I was just kind of like, oh, well, I mean, if, if he says he's good to go, then he's probably good to go. But at the same time, you know, Seb Hines' knee is is still iffy. He got a, a, an injection uh, when he got back to Orlando after the game. So that's going to be uh, something to, to look at for the next 20 days as they're off until their next game. But in terms of the whole lineup in general, uh, I thought... It, it really said something having Harrison Heath in the defensive midfield rather than Antonio Nocerino. Yeah. And that, that was a statement made by, by Coach Heath saying, hey, you know, if he's not playing well, Antonio Nocerino, he's not playing well, we're not going to play him. This, you know, despite of his contract or his, his previous experience, you know, we're going to go with someone who we feel is going to help us get a win or get a point. And he went with his son, Harrison Heath. So uh, credit to Adrian Heath for that. Uh, but I want to touch on what Daniel was saying really quick with the, the more direct style and finding the, the team finding their identity. I think it, it, their team is still trying to find their identity in a way because, you know, they've only been in MLS for, for a year. I think Adrian Heath and his coaching staff, because it's a different coaching staff than last year almost, uh, they're still trying to work out the kinks to see what works best in MLS. You know, you had a few years in USL where you kind of were able to tinker with things and, and find out what works, but it's a new, uh, a new staff, new new personnel on the field, and uh, it, it's it's a process. You know, we're only a few games. I say a few games. We're we're at a a point where it's it's almost a third of the way through the season, but uh, you know, I, I think with this break coming up, I think team has a, a chance to kind of reevaluate, work on some things that haven't been working during the season and uh, come back after the Copa America break with a better understanding. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, they play directly um, in terms of the, they've been doing it a lot this year, but I think it was intentional because of the field being shorter and narrower than normal. I don't think that they felt like they could play with, especially without Kaká 
you know, the, the possession, bring it up through the midfield, build the attack kind of style that they would, you know, that they have tried to play many times and they've been successful in some games and not successful in others. They, I think that might've had a lot to do with Nocherino sitting and Heath playing because Heath is uh, more of a long ball type guy. Nocherino, he's a guy I thought would be in the lineup and I thought it could go either one of two ways. He would either really hurt the team with turnovers and, and quick counters, or he would be able to be that calm, short passing, um, sort of specialist in the middle that they kind of need on a congested field. A lot of the guys on this team are not great passers in tight quarters, but guys like Batista and Kaká and I think Nocherino can be those guys. And uh, But I think, you know, playing the third game in nine days, it was always going to be a sort of a bunker mentality, grind it out, try to get something on the counter, try to, you know, send the ball to Laren, um, you know, maybe get, you know, Molino up there beside him a few times and see what you can manufacture. I never thought that the the team looked at all dangerous, except for the few times that maybe, you know, Laren got on the end of one that was, uh, a, you know, a downward header that uh, Saunders stopped. And then he also, he had a 1v1 with Saunders a little later that uh, he probably would like to have back. He didn't get it beyond the keeper. And uh, they weren't very dangerous. And of course, they fell behind 2 nothing. Um with some kind of poor defending, <laughs> uh, one was off a back post. Uh, the the first goal, R.J. Allen crossed it. I think Breck Shea gave him a little bit too much room at the top of the box. He was able to pick out his spot and, and deliver it. And you had two back post runners, and neither one of them was well covered. Seb Hines and Kevin Molino were both beaten by their man. And uh, Briant was able to get that that header goal and, and get them on the board. And that just about looked like it was going to be enough to win the game the way that Orlando city had played to that point. Um, they end up getting a second via with a really nice chip uh, off of a, a quick, quick counter. Um, Pirlo played him in off of a turnover. It was very, very quick and um, it was two nothing before you knew it. And then all of a sudden Seb Hines falls on the ball and gets called for a handball in the box, and here they go to line up a via penalty kick, and you're thinking this is this could get really ugly. And it did get really ugly for David Villa <laughs> because his plant foot went flying, and then the ball went sailing out into the atmosphere. I think probably a worse shot we have not even seen from Carlos Rivas. Um, <laughs> That's a saving grace when you have to play on that type of pitch, though. Like, is that even, <laughs> is that pitch even legal? Like, I don't, I, everyone seems like they're standing next to each other in a subway when they when yeah. we play in New York. I mean, they pass it three meters to their left or three meters to their right, and it's already on the right or left wing. It's, it's insane to me that MLS, uh, for everything that they're trying to do, and I understand that uh, New York City paid a lot of money for this, but that mm -hmm. field looks like, uh, I, I mean, it looks like an ice hockey rink. It's soon, one pass, and you're already pat, like in the defensive third. Or one pass, you're already in the offensive third. The David Villa uh, goal, to his credit, perfectly fine. But holding, I mean, the guy barely passed it anywhere, and he's already on goal. I know. And, you know, they should have a huge advantage playing on that field like they do as often as they do, but they only have one home win. Oh my um, but, yeah, the the. the the field, from what I understand, is a barely minimum, you know, it's the minimum I want somebody to measure. Uh, allowable, um, supposedly. But here's the thing that really is the bigger issue. 
was that everybody was falling down on that turf. And not um, just in you, the infield, either. Right. If you, if you remember the first time Orlando City went up there, there was a very scary moment early in the game when Joe Bendick like slipped, and om- there was almost an own goal as it w- there was a back pass to the keeper, yeah. and he fell down. Um, this time... I think I saw Bendix slip. I thought I, I saw Breck Shea slip a number of times. A couple of the midfielders, the, the assistant referee fell at one point. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I've ever seen that. The, the, you know, he just, he was like, he was on skates. I, I saw um, Seb Hines at one point look like he was on roller skates uh, trying to defend. And it was just, the field was terrible anywhere, especially with it, where it was painted. It was terrible. And, and the fact um, that they had to paint it first of all, yeah, this is silly. it's an atrocity for a league that is trying to make its name not only within North America but outside of that to have a club that is spending this spending as much as they are on players to be playing in this type of environment or atmosphere. I mean, it's it's it it almost makes it makes it unbearable to watch. If I wasn't as big uh, of an Orlando City fan, I may just like abstain from watching mm. this match, but. It, it really, it's not soccer. It's not football. It's indoor. It's, it's indoor soccer. It is. It's what really it is. bad. It's arena <laughs> soccer. And it, I mean, maybe they should put walls up and allow the ball to bounce off the walls and maybe a net around that if it hits the net, then it, it goes out of play. I don't know. It's, MI, it's MISL. Um, so, I mean, I guess, but the, 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 the turf monster bit them the hardest with the via slip. And uh, that was, a, I mean, I just laughed because I thought the game was over anyway at that point. But I, I just laughed and laughed. And then, lo and behold, just a couple minutes after that happened, uh, Julio Batista found his first MLS goal with a, a nice uh, entry pass from, from Kevin Molino. Uh, Batista was allowed to take a touch and then another touch with two defenders on him. And he spun and, and uh, you know, did a good job of getting around on the ball and it took a, a, a little bit of a deflection off the defender and, and went in, and all of a sudden you got a lifeline, and it's two to one. Um, and then from that point on, uh, New York City looked like they were for sure going to score a third. It, it was just they were all over the offensive end. Orlando City couldn't get possession. And then they fashioned a chance out of almost nothing. Um, at one point, uh, Shea was forward, but Carlos Rivas had the ball and didn't play him in. And then he decided to take a step backward and then a, a quick step back forward and was able to get himself just clear enough to get a, a cross in. And it was a just a gorgeous cross to the back post, found Kyle Laren's head. Laren could do nothing with it there except for uh, head it back across goal where not one but two Orlando City players were wide open all alone. And, and they almost took each other out as Batista went for the bicycle kick and Kevin Molino came in with the header and the header had had it been two inches higher would have come back off the bar but it went in off the bottom of the crossbar and in and the 94th minute and Orlando City gained a point that probably had no no business winning no no business earning that point but we are extremely happy that they did because that's five points out of nine in a three game in nine day period which is a uh, pretty awesome considering how many how many people they were down Austin, what did you think of that result given the performance? Uh, just a typical Orlando City performance, obviously. <laughs> no, I, it, you know, it, it's it's one of those performances that that Heath has harkened back to before. It's one of those gutsy kind of grinded out performances, getting the point on the road 
uh, in the dying moments of the game, uh, in the 94th minute when it should have been 93 minutes, but then, you know, Brexhay and David Villa get into a scuffle. They both get yellow cards. It extends the game, and all of a sudden, Orlando gets a game-tying goal, and Kevin Molino, you know, had a a decent game. I I, I wouldn't say decent. Uh, he had a good last 15, 20 minutes of the game, uh, coming up with a goal and an assist to Batista. And, um, you know, he's he's got six goals and three assists now for the team on the year. Coming out from an a- ACL tear. I think that's pretty special. Not too shabby. Everybody now getting a look at what they didn't get to see last year when we, when we all, anybody that was remotely, re- you know, involved with Orlando City would say, you know, if we just had Kevin Molino and people around the league didn't understand that, you know, they th- if we just had Kevin Molino, we'd probably made the playoffs. Nobody was buying any of it, but this year they're seeing what, you know, what Kevin Molino is all about. And, you know, given that he is prone to running out of gas about the 70th minute, it was pretty awesome to see him come up huge in the 94th, Daniel. Yeah, it, it was. And I'm, I'm excited for Kevin because he's been playing well this year. I mean, he started off a little slow, uh, but the fact that he's been able to really make a, na- a name for himself, not only in this squad, but in MLS so far this season, people do see his talent. And he's young enough to, to keep rising within this league and not only that but internationally as well i'm excited to see what he can do in the future but let's 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 go back a little bit to really us not deserving the point because who really played well on our club i mean joe bendick in the back didn't really have much to do what he could have done he couldn't have saved the the two goals maybe he could have done done a little bit better against vila's chip that uh really on the back line tommy redding was the only person i saw that stood out in the midfield, even Carrasco looks slow. I mean, he just looks slow. He, he looks like he, he can't catch up with attacking players. He can't move out wide when he needs to. He looks like he plays in a small circle. Uh, and Harrison Heath, I, I don't know if you guys are going to get upset with me saying this, but, I mean, I'm, I'm a hardcore fan, and he just does not look like an MLS-level player. Uh, he looks like he needs more time. And it was upsetting to me because – even though Notorino hasn't been playing well, he's played at a level that Heath will never reach. Uh, and I can say that from seeing him over the past couple years. Maybe he will in the future. I don't know. But Notorino brings the, the type of calmness on, on, on the ball that we could have used to maybe get three points out of this game. Uh, and Heath really didn't do much for me. Is there, is, am I seeing something wrong here? Or am I, am I saying something wrong? Or what are, what are you guys' takes on it? Daniel's saying that we would have won had no Chirino played. That's 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 a new one. I don't think I don't think any of our all of our listeners just fell over, dropped dead, and we have no listening audience anymore. Um, my thought is that it, Harrison Heath is exceedingly young, and has, and he's playing like a guy who's only played in a few MLS games. But I thought that he he actually played better than I expected. Quite honestly, when I when I saw the the starting lineup, I looked at it and went, mm, I'm not sold with that defensive midfield, and I'm a little worried about it, quite honestly. And I, and I actually thought that the defensive midfield did an okay job shielding the back four. Um, I thought Tommy Redding had a very strong game against Villa. I think the only time that Villa really was a problem for him was on that chip, um, which was, you know, he, he was sent in by a great pass by Pirlo and, you know, didn't have time to really react and get on him. He had a couple other decent chances, but uh, I, I thought for the most part Redding handled him like he did the first time that they played 
Um, as far as other good performances, why don't we just talk about our man of the match? I mean, I I think that Molino was man of the match for me because of the goal and the assist, and I thought that overall he played well, although there were long sections of the game when he was playing cent- central attacking midfielder that he disappeared, but I think that was more a product of the team playing directly over the top than it was his play in particular. Uh, Austin, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, we for for someone who's been following the team since 2011, and I, I feel like this is said so many times by so many different fans that, you know, we've been following the team since 2011. We know what Molina is capable <laughs> of. And, and yeah, no, and, and absolutely. It's it's just kind of one of those things. But, you know, Molina in 2014, I, I got a nice up close look at him because of uh, where the media was situated at the Disney Wild World of Sports Complex. We were right, like, on the field. Uh, mm-hmm. Not quite where we are nowadays with the Citrus Bowl, about, you know, 200 rows up or something. So you'd have to sit in the corner like they do for Florida Cup? Yeah. <laughs> but it's still better. I, I, I still got to see a lot more uh, on the pitch in, in terms of how Orlando City played, and especially Kevin Molina, because I got to see more of what Kevin Molina was capable of playing in the central attacking midfield in a more attacking role than I did seeing him play uh, as a right midfielder where he did pretty much all of his USL career. It was you know 2011 to 2013, he was a right winger, uh, mostly known for his assists. And then he came in in 2014 and scored 20 goals. And it kind of t- took the the league by surprise. But, of course, Adrian Heath, he said, well, we knew this all along. We know he, he he's a, fully capable of scoring goals and creating mm-hmm. go- chances for our team. All he had to do was come out and prove it. And so now y- you get a chance to kind of see what Molina is capable of nowadays. Again, like you said, didn't have the greatest of games. And when, you know it was possibly a byproduct of the way the team was playing, but he still made it work. He still, he still got opportunities and he took advantage of them. And that's kind of the performance you want to see out of him. um, Being one of the more veteran guys on the Orlando city roster, one of the the longest lasting guys on the roster. Right. Was he your man of the match or did you have a different man? I mean, the goal and an assist, uh, and especially the goal in the 94th minute, I, I, you can't really argue because no one else played up to any type of par. <laughs> like it, it really just wasn't a good performance from anyone else. Uh, so yeah. Kevin Molina with a goal and an assist kind of has to be by default. I like it by default, Austin. That's that's perfectly fine. Uh, myself, I thought Kevin played good over the past uh, the last 15 to 20 minutes. Unfortunately. Really, before that, I didn't really see a lot from him. It seemed like he kind of disappeared in a shell and holds every time, every now and again. And the only person I saw active uh, from the beginning of the match to the end of the match, I mean, you're talking about a chance uh, in the first few minutes, uh, I think it was the sixth or seventh minute, uh, was Kyle Lahren. I, I mean, he, I don't know how Saunders saved that header at the seventh minute. I mean, he did everything right uh, from a forward perspective, heading it down. Uh, with pace, uh, got in a good position, uh, and then he got the assist on the the Molino goal, and he did exactly what you want to do at the end of the match, uh, which is put it, center it right back for someone else to come onto it instead of trying to do something which most forwards would do and and take a wild, crazy shot from a weird angle. Uh, I thought Kyle Aaron was the man of the match. He was continually putting pressure. He looked like he was getting in dangerous positions. Uh, He was really the only offensive presence we had 
uh, up until Kevin Molino decided he wanted to play over the past 15, last 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, and even Kevin had a, like I said, he played well in those 15 or 20 minutes, but Kyle Aaron was our only outlet up until that point. Um, and uh, I, I would say he's my man of the match for that reason. All right. Yeah, it's a good point about him uh, not trying to score from that bad angle at the back post. That's, I mean, we saw him just last week uh, try to shoot from an impossible angle rather than square a ball back for Carlos Rivas with an empty net. So, um, you know, maybe he learned a little bit in the film lesson. Maybe maybe got a tongue lashing from Inchi uh, <laughs> after that game and started to look for teammates when he's at those bad I'm angles. Sure he but, did. Uh, <laughs> so that's good. Okay, we we had a little bit of split this week. We've, we we have. Um, We've had a lot of weeks where we're unanimous. We've had a lot of weeks where everybody had a different guy, and this week we have a, a two and one, so that's pretty good. Um, why don't we turn our attention uh, now to the Orlando Pride, who uh, went on the road to FC Kansas City. They had, uh, like Orlando City, a lot of people missing, including Alex Morgan and Ashlyn Harris and Laura Alloway and Kristen Edmonds. And they even lost Sarah Hagen uh, 21 minutes into the match to some sort of, I guess, heat-related illness. They didn't really say much on the broadcast about it, but uh, didn't look like she had picked up a knock. It just looked like she had, uh, you know, was maybe not feeling well. Uh, so this was a team that um, had come into the game. FC Kansas City had scored two goals all season, had not won a game, and so of course they win two nil. Um, the main thing that I took away from the game is that for a good portion of the first half, the pride was able to, they were able to get uh, a lot of possession, but no real dangerous chances other than maybe a couple of early shots from, from angles. Uh, and then about 30, 35 minutes in FC Kansas city got a little bit comfortable on the ball and, and they were able to come forward and basically dominated the match as far as I'm concerned from the rest of the way. Um, I guess one of the talking points for me is that if you talk about the, the players missed, certainly Alex Morgan was missed and Kristen Edmonds, I think missed a lot more than what we maybe expected. Uh, Laura Alloway also missed a bit, but I, I didn't think Ashlyn Harris was missed because I thought Aubrey Bledsoe played fantastic. Austin, we'll stick, uh, we'll stick with you next and, and, and ask you what your thoughts were on the pride at FCKC. Well, unfortunately I was a bit preoccupied, so I wasn't able to catch the game. We'll get into that and just that was a setup, by the way. That was a setup. Yeah. Uh, Austin wasn't able to watch the Pride because he was calling Orlando City B. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was it was up to some of us to uh, to be like you know watching multiple games, and Austin couldn't do that because he actually had a job to do. Uh, so I'll ask you, Daniel, did you actually get a chance to watch the Pride? Uh, I did, and you know there there were a few players that stood out for myself. I mean, of course, Steph Catley. She is, she's on another level. Uh, whenever you talk to, when you're you're watching these NWSL games, um, and of course, Leanne Sanderson is somebody that I talked about uh, from the beginning of the season. She looked like she was the only person trying to to actually make a partnership with that back line to move the ball forward. Unfortunately, when we got in the attacking third, like you said, uh, we just weren't able to do much with the ball. Um, I don't know if it was a disconnect with the forwards or their runs. I mean, even though we had Jasmine Spencer in the game and she had some, some great opportunities, her speed is on another level. Um, she still has those touches to where she loses control of possession. Uh, she's not able to find that, that, that one touch that sets her free on goal. 
Uh, and we're waiting on that to happen because as soon as we know that happens, Jasmine Spencer is going to be extremely dangerous in this league with that speed that she does have. Uh, but that heavy touch is letting her down a little bit right now. And, and um, it, it wasn't necessarily uh, that the Pride didn't play well because it looked like they were able to hold possession at times. It, they just looked disconnected. Um, and, uh, you know, Kansas City looked like a team that had won a championship. They, they got back into the game after the Pride played well over the first couple of minutes. Uh, and then from there, they went on to get a win. And that's what happens whenever you have a team that gels well together and uh, has championship caliber. So mm-hmm. it was really, um, in, in NWSL, you, you see a lot of teams that don't have the depth to be uh, competitive whenever they uh, lose a couple players. And Orlando, I think, is a team that can be competitive when they lose uh, Alex Morgan, when they lose... Uh, Hagen to, to injury or if they don't have their starting goalkeeper. Um, but Sporting Kansas City showed that, that uh, they, they can definitely be competitive on any week. Yeah, I thought what KC did well was they defended well early and sort of frustrated the pride. I thought one thing that was a problem was when, first of all, they tried to play like they normally play, and Hagen doesn't have the pace of an Alex Morgan, so that was a problem right off the get-go for me, um, trying to play long balls for Sarah Hagen, and she couldn't run them down before the defense got there. Then when Hagen went out, the problem was they shifted Jasmine Spencer to the central attacking role, and they were lofting balls in for her, and she's like four foot tall. Yeah. <laughs> and the center backs are just heading everything away from her. Um, and they would they were basically playing two-on-one on her, and anything that came near her, they just plucked out of the air. Uh, Christina Birkenrode got her first appearance, the rookie uh, that was just signed a few weeks ago, you know, draft pick. For the pride, she came in and, and moved into Spencer's normal role on the left side, and she she looked a little bit over her head, like you know you could tell it was her first NWSL game. Uh, the other rookie, Sam Whitteman, played on the right side in the attacking uh, third of the formation there, and and that was an interesting move to me because I thought we would see probably Jamia Fields in there. We did see her later in the game, and then I realized. Oh, this is why she didn't start. She's she doesn't look very good, <laughs> and uh, she didn't do a whole lot. And for me, Maddie Evans didn't do a whole lot in this in the in the central midfield uh, next to Sanderson and Becky Edwards. Unfortunately, it was a nil-nil game that was kind of spoiled by a, a fluky goal with a long, long free kick, about 35 yards or so, and it deflected off uh, a player and and wrong-footed the goalkeeper who probably had it easily covered, and then it went the into the other opposite corner so um tough break for aubrey bledsoe who played well and yeah, she um, played well up until that point i mean and even she after really that did. point so she didn't have a lot of saves although she is up for save of the week she did what she did do well was she had that ashlyn harris aggressiveness to come off the line and get to balls before they became a problem yeah. before there could be a danger and i thought she did a good job of that um there were a few other dangerous parts of the game that I think maybe it's just a a lack of familiarity in game situations with her back line and maybe there was a little bit disorganization but I don't fault her for that because that's that's going to happen the second goal uh, again I don't think Ashlyn Harris would have stopped that one either they left uh, Erica Timrak way 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 too open and she just basically uh, picked out a spot and curled one in just inside the far post and um I don't know who was supposed to close her down. I know that Kaylin Kyle, who did not start the game, tried to close her down late, but she was way too wide open 
before then for uh, Kalen to get there and do anything with. So um, I, I will ask you this, Austin, because you have followed the pride. What do you make of Kalen Kyle not starting in this game? Kalen Kyle is kind of an enigma to this point. She's had her good performances being that kind of midfield, like destroyer kind of type. And then she's just kind of, as of recently, not been as good. Uh, and I think there's there's a lot of expectations with her being a, a Canadian national team member. Uh, hasn't gotten the call up recently, which also kind of makes you think a bit. But, um, you know, it, it's 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 kind of just the ups and downs of being a professional. I think she can turn it around um, at some point during the season. But, you know, her starting on the bench was kind of a sign saying, hey, you know, you you need to, to kind of work on this. So I think uh, Coach Sermani was just kind of saying, hey, see what you can do, and we'll try again next week. Yeah. Well, Daniel hit the na- nail on the head as far as Steph Catley is concerned. She was she was picked our man of the match uh, by our grades person, which was Lindsey Harrison this week. And it's hard to argue because uh, Steph was really the only player that looked like her normal self. I thought that um, – Leanne Sanderson looked a little, I mean, she's not a pacey player to begin with, but she looked a little slower than usual. And she would, she tried to play balls to herself that I thought Kansas City did a great job of, of anticipating and cutting her off and getting to them first. And she wasn't her normal dangerous self in terms of, of service. And I think again, part of that is, uh, Hagen not having any real pace up top not having the Alex Morgan pace. And then, uh, Jasmine Spencer just not having the size. So there was a combination of, of those two things that kind of hindered Sanderson in what she was able to do service-wise. And even even the, the free kicks weren't exactly what, you know, what we're used to from her. Um, so the pride falls. The interesting thing is now they are 1-3 and three on the road and been outscored 5-2, to two, um, but unbeaten at home uh, and untied at home. And the other th- interesting thing, the Orlando Pride has now been involved in five consecutive shutout games. Uh, they've won three of them and lost two of them. So, um, sounds like we got some stuff going on <laughs> in the background. That was everything. That, everything all right yeah, there, that, Dan? That was my future wife uh, coming in and asking <laughs> me if I'm okay, and me waving my hand and saying, "Yes, I'm perfectly fine. Okay. I don't need anything." Well, we had an extra special guest this week, so we're not going to charge any extra guys for that. And we will we will make sure that we show Daniel where that mute button is on his Skype before next broadcast. But I couldn't hear you. Um, I was muted. I'm sorry. Okay. So here's what we're doing now. We're going to talk about Orlando City B. I'm going to start with Austin because he had a very unique view of the game uh, sitting in the press box, which is something that even our Sean Rollins, who's been to every game covering for us, has not done. Uh, what was the view like there out at the Titan soccer complex for what turned into a, a big victory for OCB? Well, first of all, I can, I can tell you from, from being in the press box that there is really no room for anyone else other than the broadcast team and the NPA announcer. <laughs> it's a very small press box. It's only got, um, you know, it's, it's got three rooms within it, but only three Orlando city staffers, uh, myself and Eric Lieben and, the broadcast crew and the PA announcer. That's that's literally all that can fit in there. So, uh, Sean, if you're listening, don't feel too bad. It's it's just kind of kind of how it is. But um, in in terms of the the unique perspective I had, I mean, you know, broadcasting my first 
Orlando City game. You know, I've done Rollins College games for the past two years, but uh, this being my first OCB game, uh, it was really fun. You know, I it, it just getting out there and being able to to commentate over you know teams and and players that I've known um, for years and and followed, and being able to actually like do play by play for them. It was a very unique experience and had a lot of fun. Hopefully, I can do it some more. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, we we enjoyed listening to that. Although I, I got to say, the first half of that game was not great for, for from Orlando City B's perspective. Um, I felt like I was watching like you know eighth grade teams play almost <laughs> at times. It was it was just kind of bad. Yeah, that- and uh, and then Orlando City B went behind, and uh, I just didn't think they had anything in them. And uh, of course, as soon as the Pride game came on, and I was paying attention to that, trying to to live tweet that and uh and I also was writing the recap so I had to you know pay attention to that pretty carefully. <laughs> uh you know, Orlando City B was able to come back and and get the win and uh both goals uh, Pierre De Silva, 17-year-old figuring in both of those. Uh this kid looks like he's the real deal. It looks like he's a future um you know, homegrown player that that uh, is going to be or at least academy produced player. I don't know that he's eligible since he played for the national team before a certain age. I don't know that he's eligible for that homegrown moniker, but uh, certainly academy produced. And he just looks like uh, he looks like to me the most talented individual out there that hasn't played a ton, like in terms of MLS play. I mean, there's a, a lot of guys down there that have played MLS and they know what to do. And this kid is still kind of learning the game and maybe hasn't quite uh, gotten some of the things taken care of, you know, that he needs to. That, but you could see that there's a wealth of talent with this kid, uh, Daniel. And you could you could tell that uh, Pierre De Silva will be playing for Orlando City in the probably not too distant future. Yeah, I mean, he's 17 years old and he's already played in tournaments with the U19 team. And maybe that's not something that a lot of people scoff at. Oh, it's just a couple years. But the guy's played loads of minutes and tournaments with them, and he looks mm-hmm. like he's on a different level than most 17-year-olds. I mean, he's he's making the correct runs. I mean, you saw it in this last game against the Independents. Uh, he's in the right spot, and that really is what it comes down to whenever you're that age, right, to make the right decisions. Uh, and uh, when he's on the ball, too, I mean, you can see that as well. There's a few players that stand out from an OCB side. I think Larea looks pretty good when he's on the ball. I also think... Uh, that De Silva looks fantastic when he's on the ball. I'm excited uh, to see those those young players come up. And uh, I mean, in in essence, I'm sorry. I mean, Lorea's had a couple got years in college, but uh, De Silva's touch looks even better than his does whenever he's on the ball. So I'm excited to to see him in the future. I don't know how long that's going to take. Um, I think OCB is is here for a reason. I'm glad to see them start earning some points. I think. Uh, for the MLS clubs that are in this league, they're actually playing pretty well now compared to other ones. I think they may be second mm-hmm. or third now. Um, still a little bit far down in the standings, um, but it's exciting to see them starting to put some wins together and starting to earn some points uh, and get that confidence for these young guys. And, and hopefully this leads to uh, these young guys getting even more confidence and expecting minutes uh, with the, the varsity club, the first team, moving forward. Yeah, it was an unbelievable um to see them come back and, and now unbeaten in three. And as of the end of that weekend, they were above the playoff line, which is surprising considering how bad they were earlier in the year. Uh, De Silva's uh, an interesting guy because 
You mentioned his U19 exploits. He actually scored the the cup clinching goal in the Slovakia Cup not too long ago, just last month. Yeah. So um, you know, pressure doesn't bother him. He seems like he's he's mature beyond his years. He's he's got those great soccer instincts, which you know the things that you can't coach. He's got those intangibles, which you know it bodes well for his future. You know, we've been able to see uh, Christian Pulisic for the uh, for the senior national team. You know, another young guy. And he's, you know, of course, Pierre's not on his level yet, but uh, it it just goes to show you that if you can play, there's no need to really wait. Just go ahead and play the young kids when, you know, when they're ready. And Pierre may not, may, may not be quite ready for MLS, but I don't think it's going to take too long. Austin, you've seen him more than we have. What what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, you kind of got, you guys kind of touched on that on nail on the head there. Uh, you know, seeing his, his quality on the ball, um, you talked about his, you go you go back to his first goal, which, you know, it was his first professional goal that he scored uh, just this past weekend. And, you know, I, I get I get the pleasure of saying, hey, I got to call his first ever goal, especially when he makes it big. So mm-hmm. I can go back and say that. But uh, you see how the goal was set up uh, with when Tony Rocha played it back to him. He made a run just right up the middle of the pitch, um, played a nice one, two with Larea, got in on goal and scored from a very tight angle. Um, and then the second goal that was set up by De Silva, he put a ball beautifully curved into uh, the middle of the box for Craig Nitty, who's six foot five, kind of mm-hmm. hard to, to miss him. But he put it right on his head, um, and, and you could see the, the the curve on the ball, the way he put it into the box. I mean, there's a, a special kind of player that can put a ball that well into the box. And it, you know, again, 17 years old. Um, yeah. You know, just one little thing from the broadcasting aspect um, during the commercial break between the end of the game and the uh, coach's interview. Um, one of the things that Anthony Pulis was telling Eric Lieben down on the pitch, because uh, Eric was saying he was going to interview Pierre. He said, you know, take it easy on him. He's only 17 years old. You know, just <laughs> ask him some very basic questions. So, you know, and then after the game, uh, Pulis came up to Eric and said, hey, you know, how did he do? You know, just, just kind of like, like a, a surrogate father kind of thing, like making sure he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's doing okay and still being able to like grow and learn and, and whatnot. So that's always nice to see, especially from, from Pulis, you know, from a coaching standpoint and a development standpoint. Yeah. We're going to have to have Pierre on the show, I think pretty soon. Um, you know, one thing I didn't, I, I couldn't believe, and that's why I didn't think it was OCB's night was they had a great chance in the first half that Michael Cox couldn't possibly miss, and yet he did, um, smashing it off to the crossbar. And unfortunately for me, it brought back bad memories from earlier in the day because as an Atletico Madrid fan, uh, Griezmann's penalty kick <laughs> went and did the same thing. And uh, it kind of hit the bottom part of the bar. It came back out, and uh, and I had flashbacks, and I was, you know, crumpled in a in a you know, fetal position. I was on a call on the floor. I was on a call with everyone that makes FIFA. It it felt like I was talking to a guy that was in Vancouver where we make FIFA and they were watching that match and I could hear in the background. I had it on my TV, but it was on mute and I don't mute anything on this. Uh, I'm sorry about that, (laughs) but it was on mute. So I was, I was more focused on the PowerPoint that I was being presented and all I heard was a crazy loud roar in the background. And I'm like, what the just happened? And I turn <laughs> to my TV on my left, and I see everyone, like, 
just screaming as the fans. I'm like, this is insane. I have to watch the rest of this match. Can we put this meeting on hold? I apologize. Uh, that, 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 uh, well, you know, Ronaldo came back after that. Uh, but I'm sorry if you're an Atletico fan from that perspective. I apologize. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty heart wrenching because, uh, first goal was offside. Um, anyway, we're not going to dwell on the past. We're going to look to the future and, uh, we're going to talk about the future because the future, uh, for Orlando city is that they are off until the 15th when they'll play a U.S. open cup date. And I expect a lot of, of, uh, reserve players to be playing in that one. That's going to be, uh, actually maybe, you know, Austin, what the Charleston Jacksonville result was, or is that game over? I think it's still going actually. All right. Did you have a, a score update for us? Um, I get it. Second. <laughs> I just put you on the spot because yeah. that's what we do here. Um, anyway, they'll play the, the winner of Jacksonville Armada and Charleston Battery. And so it potentially sets up uh, a rematch with, you know, of last year's first Open Cup game, uh, which was a ridiculous 4-4 match that went to penalties and it went 10 men deep in the penalties. Carlos Rivas. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a big night. Carlos Rivas with a hat trick from the penalty spot. And then in the penalty shootout, he missed. Uh, so uh, I, oh, I, go figure. I do have an update. Jacksonville Armada scored six minutes ago, so they're up two one in extra time in the second, ah, second period of extra time. So there's still time to have a penalty shootout there. Um, so anyway, Orlando City will play in U.S. Open Cup, and then on the 18th we'll play San Jose Earthquakes. But in that game, it is up in the air whether or not they're going to have their captain because just today, uh, Kaká was forced out of Copa America with a muscle injury that is uh, reportedly going to keep him out 15 to 20 days. So it sounds like a muscle strain, like what he's had before in the past, earlier this season. Um, you know, is it just an old guy? Is it just bad luck? What is going on? Uh, Austin, we'll start with you. What is going on with uh, old man Kaká? I think it's a combination of things. <laughs> At this point in his career, he's had a history of injuries. Uh, even coming into Orlando, he's you know been plagued by the injury bug. And it just seems that the past two times that he's been called up to the Brazilian national team, he's come back with an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, this time he he only, he got like 10 minutes of game time in, uh, almost scored a goal. but Yeah, very close. It was a heck of a save by Jaime Pinedo. Exactly. But somehow he injured himself. Was it in the game or was it in training? Uh, it still has to come back and he this this would have been his very first copa america could have been his last as well because he's never taken part in copa america every other tournament for brazil he's been a part of but never copa america so kind of it would have been very it would have been really special for him too because the fact is you you rarely get a chance to play if you're playing a copa uh, which is normally played in south america you're playing it in north america and they still had a chance to play in front of his club's home team in his in his own home stadium uh, on June eighth uh, when Brazil plays Haiti. But he is he is now out and off the roster, being replaced ironically by Paulo Henrique Ganso, who Orlando City tried to get from Sao Paulo as part of Sao Paulo not paying their bills. Um, are they doing that, that sells, now? Or are they paying their bills now? Or? They, I don't I don't have an update on that. I really need to I need to talk to Phil about several things, and that's probably one of the things we need to speak to him about. But uh, yeah, there was a lawsuit and everything going on, so who knows how much he would even say. But but Ganzo was the player that they tried to get last year, last summer, and so he'll take uh, Kaká's spot on the Brazil roster as Brazil 
uh, goes forward in the Copa America. By the way, we're going to be out there covering these matches. I actually have to go in the morning to Camping World Stadium and try to pick up my credentials and hopefully get there in time to get a parking pass. Oh, I can't believe you got those, Michael. (laughs) I can't believe you got credentials. Yeah, I know. We live in a world where I got credentials and (laughs) Jeff Radcliffe didn't, apparently. Apparently, that's what I'm hearing, that, you know, what a time to be alive. Uh, But I guess the bigger thing here is, guys, um, potentially no caca for San Jose Earthquakes game at home, and if it's at the longer end of that spectrum, maybe not for Toronto either. Uh, Daniel, you know, we've seen some games here without Kaká this year, but the team hasn't necessarily performed great without him. Uh, what do you think the team will do formationally or lineup-wise? I mean, can we ever tell? I don't know. Uh, I mean, is Nocherino going to be held on the bench? I think if you push him up a little bit further upfield, I think he could be really devastating with his, uh, what we haven't seen, an accuracy of passing. Hopefully it's something that he can figure out, but um, the team really lacks a leader when Kaká's not on the field, and uh, I don't think Kevin Molino is that guy. Um, Kyle Aaron's a little bit too young for that. Um, mm-hmm. Even Saren and Aguita, you're talking about. I don't think I don't think either one of those guys are it. Um, we don't necessarily have that player that steps up in the midfield or the forward pack that. Uh, drives the attack forward and really, I mean, Kaká just looks, he looks uh, above board whenever he's on the field. He's the only guy that runs for 90 plus minutes and chases the ball everywhere uh, on the pitch and really tries to to get the attack moving. So um, it could be a tough stretch for us. And and honestly, when Kaká's had muscle strains, it hasn't ever been how long they say it was going to be. It's not going to be 15 or 18 days or uh, two or three weeks. It might end up being a month, month and a half. And if you're talking about that, then you're talking about going through San Jose, San Jose, Toronto, maybe that FC Dallas, and maybe even that Houston match where we should definitely earn three points uh, in early July. So that could be the scary uh, proposition: is if if it's not just one match, does it turn into two, three, or four? Well, we'll hope not. We'll we'll be optimistic for now and say, you know, that he'll respond to treatment and, and be back for San Jose. I, obviously, we have no way of knowing that. But, you you know, you bring up a good point about leadership. And I, I can tell you this, from somebody that's covered this team, uh, you can be standing right next to Kevin Molino and Kyle Lahren and not hear what they say. They are not vocal people at all. <laughs> very, very they, true. Uh, you know, I don't know how many times I've, I've recorded their, you know, the, their version, their part of the press conference, come back and just thrown up my hands and said, I can't hear a damn thing on this tape because they're just that quiet. Um, you know, in, in front of the media, they're quiet, but in a social setting, complete 180. Uh, yes and no, but I don't think either of them is a vocal leader on the field. Yeah, I think Saren's our only option. Uh, as, as a leader on the field, he's the guy I see that has the temperament, even though sometimes it can get, get a little bit out of bounds uh, and is vocal enough on the field to drive that. Um, and maybe even Nocherino, but like you said, like Laren and Molino, they're, they're not really those type of players. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I think Breck had the uh, captain's armband, if I'm not mistaken, this weekend. He did. And uh, he, again, he's, he's a player that I don't know that you would think of him as, as a leader type. I mean, obviously... He's hot-headed. He t- he takes yellow cards that he shouldn't take. I mean, w- there we were in the 93rd minute, 
and the last minute of stoppage, and he gets into it with David Villa, and it's like, okay, you know, we, we tick, tick, tick here. This is not the time for this. That was exciting, though. To be fair, oh, that, that little scuffle probably added on a few extra seconds. Which yeah, we did that. Before. It did, it did, but it also is the reason why it took the extra seconds. It was, it was a good, you know, it was a good thirty-second delay while the the referee ran down there, wrote people's names down, showed the cards, and and David David Villa whined like he did the entire game. He whined incessantly all game long. Um, yeah, but if you don't have that opportunity, if you don't have those yellow cards, you don't get that opportunity at the end of the game with Carlos Rios putting it in his box. Um, arguably. Well, see, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. Again, you're saying that the delay allowed them to add extra time on, but without the delay, that might take place in that 93rd minute. So it's six of one, half dozen of the other. It's like it just would have taken place 30 seconds earlier, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it made Breck mad enough, though, to make that extra run that gave Rivas the space to curl that cross in, though. So maybe that had something to do but, with but, it. I don't know. I mean, but the question, in, in essence, is really is. Who is the leader on this club behind Kaká? I mean, last year, would it have been a really a Colin? I think that would definitely be the, the conversation. But this year, or, or Tally Hall, this year, who is it? Right? Is yeah. it? I mean, we don't know. I mean, the fact that we have to have this conversation is we don't know who's going to step up in that role. Um, I say Darwin Saren. I think he's he's got the... I think he has the chops. He does it with El Salvador. I think he can be that type of player on the field. But the problem there is, is he may be a little too hot-headed in MLS. Um, so I don't know who that leader is outside of Kaká. I don't know that there is one at this point, but maybe they're developing because there are still a lot of young guys on this team. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I think down the road you're going to see guys like – I think a guy like Tommy Redding five years from now could be the captain of this team. Yeah. So, um, But, you know, anyway, we hope that – get you know, get well soon, Ricky – Get back in the lineup. We need you. Uh, last thing I want to talk about tonight, guys, is Copa America Centenario. Obviously, without Kaká there, there's a, a big you know, hole from an Orlando City perspective. There's not Orlando City players there. Breck Shea didn't get the call from the U.S. men's national team. And uh, uh, Higuita was on the original uh, or the preliminary roster for Columbia but is not on the final roster for Columbia. But you never know. Maybe somebody gets injured and they call him up. Um but I guess the cool thing is that we have three games here, and uh, it starts this weekend with with Costa Rica and Paraguay. Let me let me start with you, Austin. Are you excited about Copa America Centenario? Are you? Is this something that you're up for? Oh yeah, super excited. You can tell, just thrilled. <laughs> is that so? All right. Am I am, so, I, am, I, uh, am I showing too much emotion? Over to you, Daniel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, hold on, hold on. No, in all honesty, I'm, I am actually fairly excited you don't get this opportunity too often uh here in orlando to host these big time tournaments last tournament that i can remember being soccer uh was the 1994 world cup so you know that was kind of like the start of everything for for soccer in orlando and now kind of the culmination of it is having the copa america here um you know almost 20 25 years later 22 years later uh but, you know, it's, it's definitely really cool. Obviously, the matchups could have been better. Uh, it's the luck of the draw. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Like you said earlier, um, it, it, it's not normally hosted in the U.S. It's normally hosted in South America. So you don't get this opportunity too often. 
Yeah, it's a major international tournament, and I think that I'm, I'm first of all, I'm really jazzed about it because I think these types of tournaments are are awesome. And even though we don't have the the marquee matchups, we don't get Argentina at all, we don't get the U.S. at all. Um, we get Brazil against Haiti, which should be a it should be an absolute uh, you know clown show. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's to me, it's very exciting, and you know, to see not only the game but the the passion from the fans you're going to see people coming in from you know all over the world to see these matches and you're going to see uh, we're going to start this week costa rica and paraguay is going to be uh, a fun game to to cover you know for the site and and you know costa rica is a is a team that actually has uh you know has come on in, in recent years and they might actually be able to make some noise in this tournament as a you know as one of the the maybe dark horses to 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 make a run um, Daniel, are you looking forward to this tournament? Uh, I have to be honest, guys. I'm, I'm super excited for this. Not only because is Orlando one of the cities hosting this tournament, which I think is fantastic uh, for Orlando uh, and also Orlando City, but I, I see this moving forward and in, in, in Copa America no longer being just South America only. I mean, you have the USA, you have Mexico clubs that, should, even Jamaica that are, are in this and, and you have Costa Rica, you have maybe Honduras in the future, you have clubs that could be competitive in this type of environment. Could this be something in the future that rivals maybe UEFA a little bit? Uh, maybe, maybe not, but it could be one of those big three or four tournaments that, that happen every so few years. I'm excited for that. Now, our matchups. Okay, Haiti, Peru, we do have Ecuador, we have Brazil, Brazil probably being one of the best clubs in, in the world right now. Uh, the depth that they have is insane. Um, you're able to see these teams for, if not the first time, uh, maybe even the last time that you'll ever see these teams play. So it's exciting from that perspective. I wish we would have had a, a, maybe a better group. Um, I think every group outside of this is a little bit better if you're looking at Argentina, Panama, Chile. Um, the USA group, of course, is maybe that group of death that everyone is talking about. Uh, but, of course, I'm excited, not only as a USA fan, but as an Orlando fan uh, from a soccer perspective. I think this can only just drive the conversation moving forward. Austin, who's going to win the Copa America? Uh, the USA. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I can't even say that without an, a little bit of truth in that. Anyway. Um, All right. <laughs> Brazil? I don't know. Honestly, it, it, I I can't really think of anyone else. That... Brazil is very banged up. They have replaced a lot of players. It's true, but... and, they, and they never had Neymar to begin with. Their depth is but... so, so, so deep. Exactly. They're deep and they're and they're good, but I don't honestly know if they care that much about this tournament this year. It just seems like... Um, the Mexico would be... I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, you just hit it. I, I think Mexico has a good chance to win this tournament the way they've played recent year, uh, recent months, actually. Um, Guys, don't look at look so. past Colombia. Chicharito's Chicharito's in great great uh, form. Um, Colombia could win it, and that would really suck because it probably means that they destroyed the U.S. this weekend. Um, First game's Friday, right? Friday is the start of the tournament, or is it Saturday? I think they're, they're uh, first it's, it's Friday, actually. US Saturday it starts. Yeah, U.S. plays uh, Friday, We uh, and the game here is Saturday. So there's, you know, the the games start Friday but not here. And, you know, the games here start Saturday and then again on, I think, I think Monday and Wednesday of next week, if I'm not mistaken, the 4th and the 6th and the 8th. 
Uh, is it Tuesday and Thursday of next week? Yeah, it's Tuesday. So USA starts the tournament out playing Colombia, and then they follow that up with the the start of week two against Costa Rica on Tuesday. So it's uh, you know, I I think that certainly Argentina is always going to be a threat, and Brazil will probably get out of the group and make some noise. But I I think somebody weird's going to win it this year, and I don't want to be, you know I want to believe it's going to be the U.S. But I mean. That would just be way too convenient for us as U.S. fans. So, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna ride or die with Mexico for, to win this thing. Daniel, who you got winning this? I, thing? I mean, I think it's gonna be one of the three teams that are in. I mean, they, they're stepping above everyone else, which is Brazil, Argentina, or Colombia. I mean, you could. This is the hundredth anniversary of one of their largest tournaments that they put on at all in South America. They do care about this. Uh, Brazil may be a little banged up. That's perfectly fine. But you're talking about players coming in from Sao Paulo or uh, Bayern. Like the, their depth is so deep, we don't even have players that could play at that level on the USA team. So uh, outside of a few young guys, and I, I think that Brazil, Argentina, Colombia are the top three teams. Mexico, yes, but their history with these South American teams is has been pretty well as of late. But I just don't see them winning this tournament. Uh, maybe getting to the final four, uh, getting to that semifinal could be a, a, a marker for them. Um, but I think Colombia is going to be that team that's going to take it. I think they're going to want to show the world uh, that they're 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 on this stage now. They're they're a top five team in the world to be reckoned with. Mm, I don't know. I'm not sold on Colombia, uh, but I will say this. I'm going to be excited about watching guys like Darlington Nagby and, and Christian Pulisic and, you know, the future of, and Bobby Wood, you know, the future of the U S men's national team. Don't forget Chris Ondolowski. Oh, don't get me started. (laughs) Don't get me started on Jurgen. Yeah. But Darlington's Uh, already, he's 25. He's about to turn 26 years old. He's not, he's not going to get any better at football. I I mean, I I think people get confused on how good Darlington Nagby really is. Now, I'm confused why you wouldn't think he's good because he's really, really good. I think he's a, I think he's a pretty, I think he's a good MLS player. I think he'll be pretty good for the USA, but I don't think he's ever going to reach that level that people are putting him at. And he's, he's almost, he's going to be 26 years old this year, which means he's hitting a downslide in soccer and football. He's not going to get any faster. He's not going to get any better on the ball, and he's already had. He's had some devastating injuries. It's not like he's going to be healthy for the rest of his career. I'm, I'm, I'm confused on him. On people saying he's going to be the savior for USA. I, think I didn't say he was going to be a savior. I just think he's a good player and will be part of a good nucleus over the next four or five years. And I think I believe that he can play into his, you know, at least into his early thirties. I mean, you know, maybe he, he's, he he's, have... he's a bit he's a bit more athletic, seemingly than than. Um, Clint Dempsey. I mean, I, I think he is more athletic than Clint Dempsey, but maybe you know, Clint we'll Dempsey was so much further along than Darlington Nagby is at this point. Well, they play different. They play really play different roles and different styles. I don't. It's kind of hard to compare. It's a, It's not a. It's not an apples to apples comparison. But I, all I'm saying is that I think that there's a there is a group of players coming up where we won't have to look at the same. Old guys anymore. The Al Beckerman starting. In- the Alta- yeah, the Beckermans, the Altadors, and those guys. The guys, they're going to be phased out. Yeah, and and there's going to be this new wave coming in. I mean, don't uh, supposedly Dom Dwyer is going to get U.S. citizenship and maybe play. I mean, I don't know. 
Um, there's a lot of possibilities, but I think it's exciting that we've got these young players that are coming up through the, and some of them are on, are not on this team. I mean, uh, a, a player that I'm excited about is Kessivator. Uh, I think he's a good player. I'm sure I mispronounced the hell out of his name, but, uh, he shouldn't have such a long name. That's his fault. Um, but you know, guys like that. And I used to be the biggest opponent of Bobby Wood. And now I'm his biggest proponent because he was terrible and I hated everything about him. And then he started scoring like crazy. And I was like, okay, I like this guy. He's, he's actually turned, turned me around as well. I never, I never really lapsed on to, to, to him as a player. I didn't know what he was doing at 1860. They got people so excited. Uh, but he does look, he looks the part. He looks the part. I'm excited about seeing him play against some good, uh, good competition. No, I never had any any doubt whatsoever. Bobby Wood. Oh, of course I knew, you did. I knew he would be <laughs> the best striker for the U.S. men's national team. I of course oh, you did. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> he uh, he knew all along. Um, so basically, that should just about do it for this podcast. I mean, we do have Orlando City B this weekend, I believe, against Louisville City FC. Good matchup, guys. Uh, that will be a test to really see where Orlando City B is right now. I mean, they've they've been better the last few weeks. They've been sort of a you know they're sort of flirting now with the cusp of maybe some playoff talk. But Louisville City has been the best team in the Eastern Conference all year long. Maybe the best team in the USL. And of course, there's a little bit of, of added venom in this match because Louisville City was Orlando City's affiliate last year. Both teams like to wear purple. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, obviously James O'Connor was, was in uh, the Orlando City uh, organization and, and several of their, their front office people came from, from this area. So it's, it's going to be a big matchup, and it did not go well in Kentucky in the first matchup. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see if uh, OCB can exact a little revenge. Um, they should have a pretty good complement of players. I've got to believe that, that Adrian's going to send you know, some guys like uh, maybe Earl Edwards and some guys like that uh, down to play and get some minutes. Um, Austin, you probably have some insight. I mean, what, what, who do you think we'll see playing this weekend for OCB? I think we'll be seeing the, the full complement of, of OCB slash MLS guys. Uh, so Earl, Connor Donovan, Devron Garcia, probably Harrison Heath as well, Hanji up mm-hmm. top. Uh, I, th- I, I don't think they'll be it lacking at any position whatsoever. Um but you know, going back to the the Louisville game, um, when I talked to to Coach Pulis when I was like preparing for for the uh, the broadcast, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that that Pul- Anthony said was he was so disappointed with the first four games. But that's really not indicative of how his team is. Um, he said something along the lines of uh, the the longer we stay together, the longer the season goes on, we will get better. We're by no means the finished product. We still have an awful lot of work to do. And things to improve on, but you know it, he's been pleased with the way the team has been playing so far, and he has full confidence in them going forward uh, up until these next few games. That's a long quote, Austin. I, I, some of it. <laughs> I don't think it was an exact quote. Some I think it was a paraphrase. Some of it was a quote. Some of it was paraphrased. Yeah. All right, uh, guys. Is there anything we need to talk about before we get out of here? Um, J- Jacksonville won, so we'll be playing at Jacksonville University. Um, on April or not April, June fifteenth at seven thirty p.m. There you go. There you go. And we'll have our Gavin Eubank uh, on hand to cover that match. So take Wednesday off work. Take, take two weeks from now off work. Sure. Yeah. Travel up there? No, maybe not. 
uh, well, you know, it's Jacksonville. The game ends at nine thirty. You can get home at a you know a decent decent well, hour. Well, I plan on drinking a lot, so I'll probably have to stay the night in Jacksonville unless Uber drives from Jacksonville to Orlando. I don't know. Well, there you go. You can Uber from Jacksonville and spend an inordinate amount of money. Um, but I, I think that'll do it. We'll of course uh, uh, we'll be back to to talk about a little bit more about Copa as, as it uh, unfolds. The U.S. Women's National Team also in action. Uh, both uh, well as this this podcast goes live on Thursday, so it'll be tonight if you're listening to it as it as it drops. Uh, U.S. Women's National Team with a pair of friendlies against Japan, so you'll get a chance to see uh, probably Alex Morgan in uh, in action. Probably won't see Ashlyn Harris because Jill Ellis only has eyes for Hope Solo, trying to get her to a uh, hundred shutouts in her career. And um, you know, we'll hopefully everybody will stay healthy, come back to the Pride uh, in one piece. And also, uh, there's other friendlies going on around the world. You know, Jose Belanger is with Canada. They'll be playing Monica's team, Brazil, for a couple of friendlies. Uh, the Aussies are off to play New Zealand, although I'm not sure Laura Alloway will be able to participate or not. She had that groin injury, and I'm not sure how severe it is at this point. Um, and, of course, you know, we'll, we'll talk a, a little bit about ev- all of the international action. We'll talk about the Copa America, and we'll look ahead to the U.S. Open Cup match against Jacksonville Armada, a team that Orlando City has never defeated. Wow. <laughs> In one preseason game, they have never defeated them. And the uh, fans will never let them live it down. Yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm already seeing in-state rivals Jacksonville. I'm like, what? rivals? What? They don't even play in the same league. Yeah, let's, let's be rivals when one is at the top tier and the other one is I don't even know where they're at. Is, can you really be a rival of a minor league team? I mean, the, 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 can, or, or can the New York Yankees be rivals with the Round Rock uh, AA affiliate with the Texas Rangers? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think that. But I think that it, it, definitely the, <laughs> yeah, the Savannah Sand Nats are the big rival yeah, for the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're the Savannah Bananas, by the way. I don't know if you know this. Are they now? They they were the Savannah Sand Nats they when I was no, there. I, the Sand Nats actually left Savannah, and they are now the they? Savannah Bananas. Oh my god! Oh, does, if anybody wants to buy my now collector's edition uh, Savannah Sand Nats T-shirt, please uh, email me. <laughs> please get, uh, and they voted. The city voted to have the Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. <laughs> um, well, I, that's right up there. You know, I used to I used to work for a minor league hockey team in Amarillo, Texas, called the Amarillo Rattlers. And when they it got under new management and they changed to the Amarillo Gorillas. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that can happen. And they also have a baseball team there called the Amarillo Dillas. Can we just, can we just end this entire podcast with I, I Savannah think, Bananas? You know, if, if this was, if this was like, you know, vaudeville, they would have already gotten us off the stage with the giant hook. Savannah Bananas. I'm going to say that at work like 10 times, like in a row. Uh, That's what's I hope you do. I hope you say it to the boss and like, with, without context. Just, just, just Savannah walk bananas. up to him and Savannah Bananas. You <laughs> <laughs> won't know what to make of that. Uh, all right. We're getting a little punch drunk uh, here on the podcast. So uh, please uh, like us on Facebook uh, at The Mainland and uh, also follow us on Twitter at The Mainland. And Maine is spelled like a lion's mane, M-A-N-E. Visit us on SB Nation, themainland.com. And, of course, please uh, give us a nice rating on iTunes and, and leave us uh, some feedback, some some excellent, excellent feedback. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. So uh, 
I uh, want to thank Daniel McGann and Austin David for being with me this week. Uh, I am Michael Citro, the uh, managing editor of the Mainland, signing off saying, Go City!